I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording on today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I extend my respect to their elders past, present and emerging, and any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander listeners that we have joining us. Sovereignty has never been ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. So I went in to see a modelling agency thinking, well, I'm the... I'm the daughter of one of the top models in the world, you know, of course they're going to sign me. She said, come back when your shape settles down. And it was the first time, I was probably 14, first time I'd ever, ever, ever thought about my shape. Chelsea Bonner is a powerhouse. She has one goal, to change the perception of beauty in the fashion and entertainment industries around the world. It would be almost laughable if she hadn't already made such amazing inroads through her agency, Bella Management. For over 20 years, they have been representing models and talent of every ethnicity, size, gender, ability, sexuality, and age. Having started in the industry as a curve model herself during the height of the heroin chic days, Chelsea knows all too well what it can be like to feel ashamed of the body that you live in and the judgment that comes from the outside world. A true entrepreneur, Her career has spanned agency work, producing, keynote speaking, and publishing. She's been labelled a disruptor for daring to shake up the fashion and media industries, all whilst challenging the conventions of what we consider to be beautiful. Today, we talk all about it. This is Life Chats, deep and meaningful conversations with friends and strangers. Chelsea, thank you for joining me. This is Life Chats. I'm really excited to speak to you because you have an amazing life story. You are an incredible boss. You empower people around you, whoever you work with or whoever you represent as an agent. I just think that's rare to find. So I'm keen to hear more about your story. First, maybe let's start with what life was like growing up for you. So when you think about your childhood, how do you feel? Um, I had a really strange childhood that was very, very happy on one side and very, very dark on the other. So Mm. um, I'm lucky in that it wasn't all dark. So I have got a lot of really great memories and I had a lot of amazing support from family members and uh, friends of family, which a lot of people don't have when they grow up in an alcoholic environment. Mm -hmm. So I was very lucky to have that but then also it doesn't take away from the pain that you have and carry with Mm. you as well so it's um yeah light and shade like everyone I think. Is it something that you um do you talk about your childhood now with your family at all is it ever something that's reflected on or it's kind of like you move on and you kind of just focus on yourself now? Um I think writing the book was really cathartic for me um it I had to remember in order to write it, I had to go back and and bring up a lot of memories Mm -hmm. that I had really shoved deep, dark down. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was hard. I spent a lot of days at the writing desk just crying. Um, But I felt like it was really important to tell my whole story so people understood why why my life's purpose is so important to me. Mm -hmm. And um, I couldn't explain it without them knowing the entire 
story and how it started. So yeah, it would give you a new level of like empathy to be able to connect with others who have been in the same you know circumstances as well. I think so I think sometimes too much empathy. Mm. You know, I'm prone to giving people too many chances, and yeah. that's a something I've always always got to work on but also at the same time it would change who I am you know my mum always says you you give too much of yourself I'm like but if I don't do that I'm not me so I don't know how to change totally (laughs) you have to just own that that's part of you and that's just part of me and accept right accept that you know seven people out of ten are going to absolutely abuse that Mm. and three people will be um, not grateful for your help, but we'll take your help and and um, and you know we'll use it to their advantage and hopefully become stronger for it. How, where do you think that comes from? Because I sometimes feel the same, and it's hard to kind of pull back or set boundaries with people mm. because you just give and you want to see people do their best and you care mm. and love everyone. But where for you do you think you were just born that way? Or I think so. I mean, I can't remember not being like that, even mm. from a little girl at primary school, giving yeah. away my cookies oh. and giving away, you know, giving <laughs> away my bracelets. Than I am. And, you know, um, if it made someone else happy, mm-hmm. um, I just love people being happy. I, and, you know, if some little bit of assistance from me in any way can bring them joy, then that makes me happy. So That's amazing. What were your parents like? Um, I think people listening might not know what your parents did for work and how that's informed your work mm-hmm. and kind of just that. So do you mind talking a little bit about that? No, sure. So my dad was one of the most famous actors in the country mm-hmm. growing up um, and my mum was one of the most famous models. Mm-hmm. So it was um, a bit like, you know, if... Um, Brad Pitt and you know Brangelina's <laughs> child. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly <laughs> no right. pressure. Like my poor mum. You know, literally the minute I was born, um, the newspapers and the magazines and Woman's wow. Day and New Idea and everybody was in the room with her taking mm, ba- baby God. photos of me. That poor woman. And back then, you know, it was very different to today, where you can't um like the press just had so much control mm. over everything you couldn't say no just give me a few days so yeah. that I can you know recover from this that's just how it was the mm-hmm. the cameras were there right then so my first baby photo was on the cover of new idea oh my god yeah <laughs> that's one way to start your Wild. life yeah. yeah yeah um and what did you want to be growing up like was that something that you looked at them and thought that's what I want to do or did you kind of rebel against that how did you feel no i mean in Early, when I first started thinking about what I might want to do when I grew grew up, Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to be an Olympic horse rider. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) So specific. Uh, Yeah, that's what I wanted to do because we grew up um, around horses. We Mm -hmm. had a farm and um, my dad did a lot of films with horses Mm -hmm. in them, Man from Snow River and The Light Horseman Mm -hmm. and all of those types of films. So we were always on film sets with horses and and, um, I was up and on them as soon as I possibly could. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that was was my first, um, I guess, career choice. Yep. How did that go from horse riding into your taste of the modelling industry? Well, so my grand plan by the time I was about 14 or 15 was that in order to go live this life that I wanted and make the money that I needed to to have this mm-hmm. incredible horse farm and all mm-hmm. the horse mm-hmm. floats and saddles and everything yep. and 
do that. I needed to make a lot of money fast. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, being uh, raised by my parents, knew that modelling was a way that you could earn a lot of money fast. Mm -hmm. And so I went in to see a modelling agency thinking, well, I'm the I'm the daughter of one of the top models in the world, you know, of course they're going to sign me. And um, she said, come back when your shape settles down. And it was the first time, I was probably 14, first time I'd ever, ever, ever thought about my shape because Mm. I was, I guess, for that age, bigger than I should have been maybe, Mm. but I was wearing my mum's clothes. Mm. So... It was confusing because I was like, hang on, I'm wearing my mum's clothes and she's like an Australian supermodel but I'm too big? Yeah. What does that mean? Mm. And I realised I'm too shapely, you know, because back then it was the Kate Moss heroin Heroin chic. chic. Mm. Yeah, no boobs, no bum. So I was tiny but curvy. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the first time I realised that my body shape Mm -hmm. might be a barrier to my career goals. How did that inform your behaviour? Did you go home and start changing what you ate or did you? I did what Mm. any typical teenage girl would Mm. do. I went home and stopped eating. I would eat one fruish a day. Oh my God. If people don't know what fruish is, it's like cottage cheese Mm. and yogurt mixed together. A quick note that unfortunately we had some technical difficulties on this episode and we lost a little bit of audio around Chelsea's experience with dieting and restrictive eating, mostly spurred by what she was told at the agency that she was too shapely to be a model. Chelsea spoke about going home, changing her behaviours, what she was eating, becoming obsessed with how she looked, smoking cigarettes in an effort to lose weight, and eventually going to a general practitioner, a doctor, and consulting them to get her hands on some weight loss drugs, which she was successful in doing so. Back to the episode. Did doctors support this? Did your parents support this? Well, my parents didn't know, but Mm -hmm. um, my, you know, our family GPs and mm-hmm. things did know because mm-hmm. um, they also looked after my parents and yeah. um, because they, I was a part of an entertainment family, they just assumed everyone took drugs. Mm. So it was really easy for me to get my hands on drugs that shouldn't have been available to a teenager. Mm. They shouldn't be available to most adults, but um, yeah, I absolutely shouldn't have been taking those things. And um, I, But I tried everything, everything I could possibly do to be more shapeless. Looking back on that, do you feel angry or do you blame anyone or do you kind of just see it as like that was what the industry was at the time? I don't blame any one person. It's uh, it's society's um, views, the way society absorbed the advertising that we're mm. sold. So, you know, even back then I knew there wasn't one person in control, but I knew someone was in control. Mm. I just didn't know who and I didn't understand then that it was people selling products yep. and that people make money off of us hating ourselves. It's still like that to it's this day. Like I mean, that. it's I kind of changing, but that, still, that undercurrent is there. It's still there. And that well, look at me, I'm 20, nearly 21 years into this business yep. and I'm still fighting the same fight. So I know. It's just manifested differently now. I feel like rather than it being a weight issue, it's like a cosmetic surgery issue. It's like looking perfect and it's still there. It's still this 
um, fear based. This intermittent fasting thing that's everywhere right now because it's good for your health. Yeah. Right? It's good for your health. Lots well, of I can those. tell you if you're listening, <laughs> I've been accidentally intermittent fasting my whole life yep. because I'm just shit at remembering to eat. I'm I eat one meal a day if I'm lucky. Mm. If, if people don't put food in front of me, I totally forget because mm. I'm so absorbed in my work and my weight has not changed. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not a miracle. You might lose a little bit of weight in the beginning, but yeah. Long term, it's not going to do anything for you. So when you were making all these changes, did you notice your weight actually changed and you were starting to book jobs or did nothing change? I, unfortunately, with the drugs and the alcohol and the smoking Mm -hmm. and the self-esteem issues, I just spiralled completely out of control. And it wasn't really until my late... um, early 20s, maybe late teens, that I decided to give modelling another go, but this time Mm -hmm. at my true size, which is a size 14. Mm -hmm. And I was one of the first, there was three of us in the whole country that were curve models. Yeah. What was that experience like going into castings or potentially meeting with agents and having no one that had paved that way before you? Well, by then I I had been working as a junior agent. Wow, okay. Yeah, so I decided to become an agent instead of a model. Yep, okay. And I was working as a junior agent mm-hmm. and um, my friend Greg Tyshing, who owned the agency, I just went up to him one day and said, every time I see, you know, plus size clothing or clothing for women my size, it's always a 30 to 40-year-old brunette mm. lady. I just there's no one that looks like me, yeah. but a lot of my friends look like me. You know, I feel like there's a market there. So I did a deal with him where I would take my, instead of taking holidays, mm-hmm. I would take days off if I got a booking against my holidays. You're a hustler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're like trying to figure right. out ways. I was like, okay, so this is the deal. Yep. So, um, so by the end of the year, I had absolutely no holidays mm-hmm. left. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I've been working, but I've been working mm-hmm. and, you know, I would earn more in one day modeling than I did in, you know, I mean, back then my full-time wage was about $300. Wow. So, and my day rate for modeling was $2,000. Amazing. So, mm-hmm. you know, I only had to book a couple of jobs a month yep. and I was winning. And, um, because I was so young and blonde and completely different to, any other curve model that Mm. had been used before I just kept booking and booking and booking and booking work amazing so it was kind of all positive there was no pushback in the early days it was like everyone wanted to book you because you were new and it was different and yeah no there was no pushback Mm. there was a lot of confusion on set which is really funny because I'd turn up obviously to model mm. and the stylists and the photographers and everybody would be like, who, who are you? Like overlook you as the model. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm here to model. Yeah. And, and that was very confusing for them. Like, wow. Oh, what's, what, you know, and stylists mm-hmm. would be running around going, oh my God, okay, well, uh, I've got to dress you. Yeah. You know? Don't, know how, don't know what to do with this. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. when that was all happening, um, were your parents supportive? Yeah. I, um, they yeah they were supportive but also still my parents have only ever they've never shamed me for being my size mm-hmm. they've always just been afraid mm. that i won't get the opportunities that i should get in life mm-hmm. because of my size mm-hmm. that people won't take me seriously or that i won't be as successful it's all fear for me mm-hmm. not shame of me yes. and there's a big difference between those two things does that impact you in a way that you feel like you should be worried or you know if your it parents did, are worried I, about absolutely. you absolutely when yeah. I was younger it yeah. did worry me a lot I thought mm. am I am I gonna going to be unsuccessful you know, yeah. am I, are all these things going to be true yeah. but um 
you know, I guess there was no stopping me. I was determined to prove that plus size women can be CEOs of their own company, can be in fashion, can be in magazines, can Mm. do all of the things that, um, you know, our slimmer friends can do and be taken just as seriously. I do want to talk about Bella Management, but before we get there, do you Mm. feel like that um, attitude of being worried that, you know, your child won't get those opportunities. Is that something you ever feel like with your talent at Bella? Because they're so diverse and they're not people that would uh, generally book these huge cover shoots or these massive jobs. Do you ever feel in the back of your mind, like you're worried the opportunities won't be there for them or you're just like, fuck it, we're going to do it? No, I, I, we're very honest about what we do in that I I create opportunities, you know, I will go in there and just keep knocking on the door until mm. I break people. <laughs> I'm barging. No, I don't barge. I'm very polite. You are, yeah. I'm very polite, but I am absolutely just doggedly mm-hmm. insistent mm-hmm. that people give it a go. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I, in the end they just crack because they can't stand hearing from me anymore. <laughs> And they can't tell me to get lost because I'm too polite. Yeah. And so they just give it a go. And when it works, they're like, oh, shit, yeah. you're right. That did work. Can we do another mm. booking? Can we do another booking? And so I see my job as just, you know, making, getting people in those doors. Yeah. And if you're honest with your talent from the beginning saying, look, I don't know how this is going to go. I really believe in this. But, and I'm going to, I'm going to knock on every door but you're coming on a ride with me. We have to do it together. You know, I can't be you. So Mm -hmm. if I get that door open, you have to walk through it and you have to perform. Mm -hmm. And when you're honest like that with people, they understand. Totally. They know you're fighting for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me how Bella started. Oh, yes. Well, I was working as a photographer's agent Mm -hmm. in um, Sydney in Darlinghurst and my modelling, it was just getting to the point where, I was just working so much that, you know, I was chewing through all my holidays and I had to make a decision. Did I want to be an agent or a model? Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I've only got this one minute of my life to be a model Mm -hmm. and I can always be an agent later, Mm -hmm. you know, when I'm older. And um, so I left Australia and I went overseas and I modelled in New York for about a year. Amazing. Yeah, and that was great. And dealing with agencies over there who had more than one curve model on their books Yeah, um, who had whole divisions, I just, my agent brain kicked in obviously mm. and I just sucked it all up. And when I came back to Australia, I thought this is, this is it. This is, I found what I want to do. This I don't, I don't want to be in front of the camera, mm. but I want to use all of the skill set that I have yep. to make sure other people are in front of the mm-hmm. camera. And so I bought a secondhand computer off a friend of mine <laughs> <laughs> and how he helped me set it up. Um, I had no idea really back mm-hmm. then, you know, computers were really new back then. Yeah. I know it sounds wild now, but, you know, there was no iPhones mm-hmm. and, and um, computers were massive. They were enormous. Yep. And even um, I think you were mentioned to me before you did all your bookings by hand or by you had, hand. Yeah, or the, had calendars. the sheets, yeah. the calendar <laughs> sheets and things like that. So, yeah, it was really, and then I just started doing what today is um, commonplace, which is sending EDMs, but back mm-hmm. then no one no one did it. Yeah. So I would just create it and I had no money, so I had to do it all myself. That's so crazy. I had to learn how to write all the copy and yep. do all the graphics and mm-hmm. work Photoshop and be able to do all of that, and I did it all myself. That's so huge. I had my full-time job as an agent for photographers mm-hmm. during the day and I'd get home at night and I'd start working on Bella all through the night. 
and then in my coffee breaks and tea breaks and things like that, I'd check my phone and my mm-hmm. emails and make my return calls and then i you know, sleep for two hours and do it all again. <laughs> I love it. This is why I idolise you because I'm like, this is my life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just watching it. I'm like, it's going to yeah, be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you're hungry, you just, you'll do whatever it takes because you believe yep. in your vision and you That's believe right. in where you're going. So talk to me about there's been a long trajectory of of Bella kind of championing diversity in different aspects of the industry mm-hmm. but you still have talent come to you and kind of tell you these horror stories about how they're being treated or what the agents are saying what yeah. does that kind of sound like there's just so much um there's so much pressure still on talent to maintain these ridiculous sizes mm. and the pressure comes from the designers so, you know, until we get designers, if we go back even further than that, sorry, you kind of have to go back. Yeah, like where is the issue starting? Okay. Where is it stemming from? So it stems from advertising mm-hmm. and I've written a lot about this in the book and the statistics and things mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. people, if for people who are interested. Yeah, we'll link your book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically it's the same as snake oil in the olden days. Mm. Whoever's got the most money to sell their product wins. So from clothing to diet pills to, you know, I mean, it used used to be considered um, unfashionable to be thin. Mm. You know, in the 1800s it was all about gaining weight and the the more weight you had on you, the more... um, the wealthier you were, the higher the position yep. you had in society because mm-hmm. you could afford to eat. Mm. So then, you know, the diet pills and things like that come in and they start marketing all these. Well, some of the early ads are just wild mm. that they, you know, face towards women. You know, if you don't look like this, the little tiny waists and the big hips and the of the 50s. Yep. And then people just realise what a huge market it is. Makeup you know, started to come out in the 40s and 50s, makeup advertising, body shapes, all of those types of things. And it's the advertising dollar that has brainwashed whole generations of people into thinking that weight equals health Mm. and it just does not. And they've got, there's so many studies now that prove that that is absolutely not true. I won't be alone in saying this, but like it's so dangerous to think to have that narrative and I've even Mm -hmm. noticed it in my own life that if I've lost weight, people commend that and say, you look great, you Mm -hmm. look really well. And I'm like, you have no idea how I've done that and if I'm doing that in a healthy way or if I'm just not eating or if I'm really stressed or if I've got a health problem going on. But people just assume, oh, you're skinny, therefore you're healthy, which is – or if you're overweight, you're unhealthy. I have a friend who – her doctor just prescribed her a diet medication and injection to lose weight. Yeah. She is one of the healthiest, most active people I know. Genetically, her family are just larger. Yeah. She goes for walks every day. She loves cooking beautiful, nutritious food. And I think it's so dangerous to just look at someone from the outside and think you're bigger, therefore you're unhealthy. It's Yeah, it's not just dangerous. It's just also factually, scientifically it's untrue. Mm. It's just not true. Yeah. So, you know, that is really frustrating. But the scientific community don't have the funding to get all this stuff out into the media, but the people selling you the diet products do. And yeah. it's a $500 billion a year industry. $500 oh, billion dollars a year goes into brainwashing us to go to the chemist and buy stuff to lose weight. So, That's crazy. So the designers themselves 
are brainwashed. Mm. So they think their designs look better on slimmer women because they have also grown up with this advertising Mm. and they have also taken on board this narrative. So it's it's so multi-layered. It's such a massive problem. And we are moving in the right direction. Like there is definitely more kind of uh, support and inclusivity around body shapes and sexualities and abilities. We have so far to go and I'm just Mm -hmm. kind of thinking like where can we improve our efforts? Is it down to the consumer to only choose brands that support diversity or is it down to the designers or the models? Like where can we all make a change? Well, all at the end of the day, all these companies care about is money. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah, they're not there to have fun. Yeah, and, despite what they might look like or change their the advertising, world. they yeah. really aren't. They yeah. are there to sell clothing, yeah. sell dresses, sell bikinis. That's all they care about. Mm-hmm. So if you vote with your money, it makes a massive, massive mm. difference. So you know, every single person should be looking at where they're purchasing from, and not just the ethics of you know, the supply chain, but also the ethics of their advertising Mm -hmm. and how it makes them feel. And if you're looking at advertising that makes you feel ashamed of yourself and not good enough, then that is not good advertising and don't buy that product. I think that's so true. Like being aware of just having self-awareness around advertising and why is this angled in a certain way? Even on social media, why is this making me feel a certain way? What are they trying to get out of this? I think that changes how you consume things. And who decides what is beauty anyway it's a bunch of guys (laughs) sitting around a desk like this Mm. deciding how they can make the most money that's that's who's deciding women's ideal of beauty these ceo dudes in suits you never think about that like i've never i do all the time i've I've like never consciously thought (laughs) yeah yeah men are and they control all mm. of the publishing all of the magazines all of the newspapers all of the narratives even just in terms of um what not what's beautiful but what's sexy as well like what makes you confident what makes you desirable it's like that ideal body like i have implants which is not a secret to most people yeah. and I feel like where is that coming from is yeah. that coming from because I think with bigger boobs I'll be sexier like I definitely did it for me I didn't do yeah. it for other people to approve me but it must be somewhere deeply subconscious that I think I am more beautiful or you know I don't know people, more worthy yeah. with bigger boobs yeah 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 I know mm. I know what you're saying strange it, it all goes back to the guys that control the money at the top yeah and we do have more female CEOs in those rooms than we've ever had mm. before. But no, we, I mean, no, we're talking like one in a hundred, yeah, a thousand probably. Mm. So, you know, it's men in power. And so, you know, I'd like to ask them why, why they have such a, you know, sort of infantile view of what women should look like. Mm. It's almost pedophilic in a way. Yeah. Young you know, yep, youthful, no cellulite, no yeah. wrinkles, no big puffy lips. I mean, mm. it's almost a mental health issue. It is, strange. in my opinion. Like, it's weird. If you um, could get into those rooms, like, kind of, I imagine you come up against this when you're trying to get opportunities for your talent, people that aren't sure whether or not they want to take the risk. How do you kind of clarify to them that this is where we need to go or like why they should? try booking someone other than who they've always booked in the past? Well, it's interesting because the, the 
conversation comes down from the tops so of the boardroom mm-hmm. down, filters right down through the business, down to the people on the front lines who actually then are the casting and booking yeah. agents. And having the conversation. So they're the people who are trying to keep their jobs. Yeah. With the people at the top. <laughs> so they're having a really hard time making mm-hmm. that argument because they're not the bosses of the actual business. So, you know, it's it's a really it's really, really difficult. And that's why I'm still going after 20 something years. Like that's why there's, you know, lots of agencies popping up now doing similar to things to what I'm doing, which is yep. fantastic because we need all of them. Everybody needs mm. to get involved in this. Every agency should change the way they do things because we need to give power to those women who are on the front lines because it's always the women booking mm. the models. Empower them to be able to go to their boards and say, hey, you know, nobody's buying our product because they don't agree with our advertising anymore. Can we please change the talent? Yes. Please. Yep. You know, I worked with one amazing advertising director at uh, female ad- advertising director at Saatchi and Saatchi a long time ago. Mm. It took us 10 years, <laughs> 10 years to get them to book a mixed race curve model. They would use blonde curve models. They would not use a person of colour in their advertising. 10 years. Ten years we fought and fought and fought and she fought that boys club it's just not good enough 10 years like that's incredible that you continued that your efforts after that amount of time but for the fact that it took you that long it's Mm. just upsetting I think that the world is in that way but we are moving towards I think more positive change yeah what are the kind of you have so many incredible talent who have all these diverse skills Mm -hmm. Do you ever onboard someone or scout someone and they don't believe in their own skills and abilities because the world has never seen them as a model or oh, all the time? What does that all look the like? Time. <laughs> I mean, it, it's um, it's amazing to me. Mm-hmm. I love actually. I love finding those people. How they, do you do it? it? Just, I don't know. It's just a, I can see someone walking down the street in the yeah. supermarket, in a shop, anywhere, um, and know the potential they have mm-hmm. for the camera. But then I've got to get to know them and see, you know, what they want to do. I can't, I don't want to make anybody do mm. it. So, but often when they get their first shoot back or they've done their first campaign and they get those images back, they send us beautiful notes oh. and flowers and emails. Yeah. Just, I never saw myself that way. And that makes me so happy because mm. we're, you know, changing the world one person at a time. Mm. And that's the only way you can do it. So, Do you think that people have, um, in your experience, what you've seen over the years, people have a general um, chemistry to be on camera or that can be trained? No, it can't be trained. It it just cannot be trained. Wow. No, no. um, And nobody has really, I've done a lot of research on this, nobody's really figured it out. Mm. There is a, you either have presence on camera or you don't. And it doesn't matter how beautiful you are in real life. A A lot of people who you might think are really attractive in real life just don't translate onto camera. They just don't. And then other people can look quite, um, not strange, but, (laughs) you know, like they might be slightly quirky in real life. They might look a little bit too, you know, too something. Yeah. And but on camera it is all perfect. It just works. And so this it's um, this idea of photogenics, being photogenic, you cannot train it. Where, what do you look for? So if you see a talent in the supermarket, you kind yeah. of do a test shoot or whatnot with them. Yeah. Uh, is it just down to confidence in them like staring down the bar- barrel of the camera and kind of owning the moment or what are you looking for? I don't know. I don't know how to explain yeah. it because it's just like it, it's just um, 
it's kind of like a creative gift, like any sort of art form. I don't know why there's certain people in the world like myself who can look at someone and know if they're photogenic or not. Yeah, wow. We just do. I don't know yeah. how to explain It's that. like a magic essence. It's, it's yeah. People talk about it all the time with actors especially that they mm. have like the it factor and no yeah. one can explain what it is yeah. but they just know yeah. like they've got the it factor in an audition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's yeah. I mean it's a difference between, you know, if you're looking at artwork for instance, you know, it's a difference between, you know, a Picasso and and someone's high school project. Yes. Yeah, know? there's always, yeah, yeah, the nuances. Can we talk about? tokenism in diversity because I think there's this dangerous area in the industry where people are jumping on the bandwagon of diversity because it looks good for their business to do so Mm -hmm. and they want to reach a market and show people that they're inclusive. Mm -hmm. Firstly, how can you even tell if it's coming from a genuine place or not? And secondly, is it a bad thing if it's still getting those faces out there? Yeah, but a lot of people talk about tokenism as if it's a really bad thing. Yeah. Um, And a lot of my colleagues will disagree with me, but I think it's fucking fantastic mm-hmm. because every opportunity creates another opportunity. And if we don't see those faces, we won't see those faces. So who gives a shit if it's token to yes, begin with? Yep. Because it won't be because mm-hmm. they will see the results of that campaign and do it again. Mm-hmm. So everything may start out as a token gesture in life, but then it's up to, to you and me and people like mm-hmm. us to turn it into something more. So every single opportunity, tokenistic or not, I try to blow up into something bigger and more long-lasting. And it's giving those talent an opportunity to be on set, to be on camera, and they may never have had that before. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, do I think it's um, gross? Yes. Am I going to use it to our advantage? Absolutely. Yes, that's what you have to do as an agent. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, and my talent, expect that of me mm-hmm. as well. That's my that's my whole job is to take every moment and blow it up. Yeah. Let's talk about Let's Get Ducking Famous. Oh, yeah. Where did the idea for that come from and what's the kind of vision of that series? Uh, yeah, this is a real love project of mine at the moment. So, mm-hmm. Uh, Rod and I, Rod owns Blackfish Films, Mm -hmm. um, which is a majority-owned Indigenous Mm -hmm. um, production company. And Rod and I have worked together on a few projects over the years, but we really wanted to do something together because diversity and inclusion is just what we we live for. Mm -hmm. So um, he rang me one day and he said, I think I've found the script. And we read this script from a um, really nice young writer called Nikki Brown. Mm -hmm. And I loved it because it had... All of the, I could see the cast in my head as, as I was reading it. Mm-hmm. I could see who was going to play what and how I could mix it up and mm-hmm. how I could mesh things and mesh families and show Australian, I show the real diversity that we have in our Australian communities and families that is totally. never seen on Australian television, mm-hmm. you know, um, like Neighbours and Home and Away. Any wonder, na- I mean, I think I heard Neighbours is coming back. I think it is coming back and it's going to be a, a lot more diverse. <laughs> Thank God. But, you know, mainstream television is dying mm. because they just haven't caught up. They just have not caught up with the game. And even our, you know, presenters on the Today shows and stuff, they you know, they yep. choose a brunette thinking that's mm. going to cover it, you know. Mm. It's it's just not good enough. So with Ducking Famous, I was able to choose the cast I wanted mm-hmm. to try to get every single colour, gender, everything, everybody that I know yep. <laughs> mixed up in it yep. and um, as family and friends and lovers and partners and 
this crazy freaking duck Stephen. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that it's called Stephen is everything. Yeah, Yeah. and... um, it's yeah it's just it's a it's a great series it's can you talk about tox because i saw on instagram yeah what can you just give the listeners a kind of recap on his experience being in the show yeah so tox um tox james is is one of my talent he's been with me for a long long time and he does a lot of um xl men's fashion clothing um brands and modeling and television commercials and things like that and he said to me when i first signed him a few years ago now He's absolutely sick of only ever getting to play the bouncer or mm. the gang member mm. or the, you know, just the scary guy in general because he's a tall black man yep. and he just wants to be, play a florist. That's all, you know, he just wants to play. He's the nicest, mm. nicest human being you've ever met in your life and he's like, I just want to play a normal person, yep. you know, I don't want to be beating anybody up anymore. Mm. So the first person I cast in this um, is the dad, the main character, Robert, was Tox. Yeah. And um, he's the beautiful, loving, gorgeous dad that he really is in real life. Yeah. And um, I gave him the opportunity to play the character that he's always wanted to play and that's just made me so happy. That must be a career highlight for you. Absolute yeah. career highlight, yeah. yeah. And yeah. empowering for him too to know that he's more than that. Like he's, he, you know, he's got abilities and he's, he's so much more than what the industry has seen him as so yeah. far. And we hope with our little series that other casting directors and networks and other shows will get to see our cast like Tops. What they can do. What they can do and get him involved in being a dad on another show or a florist or whatever the hell else he wants to be you know (laughs) yeah whatever he likes um let's change gears a bit can we talk about so we've talked about Bella and your life professionally Mm -hmm. I kind of want to talk about your personal life go for it Uh, are you in a relationship no can we talk about that what's that been like your life have you wanted relationships or have you been so in love with your work that it hasn't been a thing for you you just haven't thought about it or yeah I was a serial monogamist Mm -hmm. you know I met my first long-term boyfriend when I was about uh 18 Mm -hmm. nearly 18 and we were together for four years then we broke up and I was single for about a year mm-hmm. and then I was in another relationship for about four years and then another relationship for about four years. Mm-hmm. And then after my marriage, I actually ended up marrying somebody and after that ended, I just thought, why? I don't, I don't really, I don't know if relationships are for me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like being contained I hate people asking me what I'm doing all the time. The yeah. amount of phone calls you get through, what yeah. are you doing? I'm working. Yeah. Talk to you later. Working. Oh, my God. I'm going to kill you. The same in, thing as you know, yesterday. Yes, exactly the same. What do you want for dinner? I don't care. I'm in a meeting. Oh, my God. Leave me alone. Yeah. You know, and I just, I don't know whether it's for me. Mm. And I'm, I don't, I've been single now for probably eight years Mm. and I love it. Mm -hmm. I don't have to answer to anybody. I don't have to pick up anyone's undies off the floor. Thank God. I do not have to. You can go anywhere you want. I can go anywhere I want. I don't have to have any arguments about money or I just like all of that stuff. I can't stand it. So, Do you find that friends or family, maybe not now because you've made it clear that you're happy and you're, you know, loving your life, but at the start when you were recently single, did you find a lot of um, people kind of sticking their nose and like, don't you want a relationship? You should put yourself out there. Why don't you go on dates? Oh, yeah, all the time. Mm. People still. Do they? Yeah, people still say that to me. But I think um, I just know I'm not like 
I'm not ready to settle. Mm-hmm. I've never been a one night stand person mm-hmm. anyway. I don't get anything. Out I think of that. that's a like um, a fallacy that that's even you know, enjoyable. People are like, I'm going to go and have this crazy casual sex. I'm like, I'm yet to actually meet anyone who likes it. Yeah. I tried it a few times, you know, through my life as when I've been single, I'm like, this isn't fun. This This sucks. This is really. (laughs) Get me home. Not fun. Except for one guy. That was was fun. To call him back. But I think I liked it because he was a sailor and he was leaving the next day Uh. and I knew I'd never have to see him again. (laughs) Commitment (laughs) foam. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, bye. I was like, see you later. So, yeah. I don't know. It's just, you know, some people are good in partnerships. I don't know if I am. I'm very Mm. strong-minded. I'm incredibly independent. hate being told what to do. Mm. So, you know, unless I find someone, someone's just going to have to walk in and fit right in. That's what I've said to my mum. I'm like, (laughs) at this point, I'm scared someone's just going to have to come along for the ride because I'm not changing what I'm doing. And look, they've got everything these days. You don't need a partner. We've got our own money. We can do any job we want. We can get loans from the bank now on our own. We don't Mm. need any of that like financial security that we used to need in the, you know, 70s and before. Mm. Women don't need that anymore. So, you know, and we've got, you know, Vush for everything yeah. else. So. <laughs> Shout out. That will hopefully be my first sponsor of the show, Goals. Product testing, please yeah, send. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, funny. so the, he's going to have to be really special. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah, and look, it's it's great that to not be closed off to it but also like to not need it. I think yeah. we're living in like the most amazing time where, as you said, women can do whatever they want. Yeah. It's like I can work the same job as a man whereas I wouldn't have been able to do that. 40, 50 years ago, I would have had to stay at home. It's like, I want to make the most of that. Women couldn't even have their own bank accounts in this country Mm. until, what, 79? It's not that long ago. No, it's not. It's within my lifetime. So, yeah, we've got plenty of choices these days. And the funny thing is that now that I'm absolutely not interested at all, I get more offers than ever before. (laughs) always the way when you're searching for it it never happens then when you're like no I'm like no and people especially young men they're like what really really yeah really (laughs) it's a no from me no from me oh so what are your kind of goals can you talk me through if you saw into a crystal ball in like the next five ten years professionally where do you want Bella to be at or where do you think it will be at and personally what are your goals I hate goals okay tell me why I just feel like life is far too you know, it's so fluid mm-hmm. and far too hectic mm-hmm. with that. And, you know, there's an old saying that my nanny used to say, you know, make a plan and God laughs. Mm. And I have always found that to be true in my yep. younger years. So I do not make long-term plans ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm lucky if I think beyond the year. Wow. Um, I'm mostly focused month to month. And how do you make decisions in the moment? Are you just like, are you someone that makes decisions based on your intuition? You're like, this is going to be good. Let's go for it. Or do you kind of weigh up, is this the direction we're meant to be heading in? Because if you don't have a long-term goal, I guess, how do you know where you're going? When your goal is to take over the whole world with diversity and inclusion. <laughs> just a small goal. <laughs> just a small goal. So there's, you know, a lot of scope for success yeah. and failure in there. Um, that. You know, it's not a, I don't have minute goals. Mm. Um, so I can't worry about the daily stuff. I just have to do what feels right in the moment, mm. weigh that up on paper as to whether it's going to affect, you know, obviously I, I will never make a decision that will put the business at risk mm. or my staff at risk because I love them like family. Mm. You know, if it's going to cost people jobs or something, I, there's absolutely no way I'm going to do that. Mm. But everything else is 
I'll sit with it. Does it feel right? Does it feel like the right thing to do? Am I doing it with the right intention? Yep. Go. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Because I feel like you've just got this attitude where you're just so focused, you know what your vision is and nothing can get in the way. And I find that inspiring, but it, it intrigues me because I'm like, where does that come from? Because I look at a lot of successful people and I kind of try and like unpack where their mindset is coming from. Is it coming from a place they were just born that way and they want to, you know, be the best and create opportunity for people? Or is it coming from a place of like, I need to prove to me that I can do this Mm. for you? Where do you think that has kind of, where where was that seed? Such a mix of different Mm. things. I think the first red flag waved at me was that I potentially couldn't do something I wanted to do because of what I looked like. Mm -hmm. And so my, you know, first goal was to prove them wrong. Mm -hmm. And then when I achieved that for myself, I wanted to achieve that for everybody who felt like me. Mm. And then, you know, it grew from there. So it grew from personal passion and personal pain Mm -hmm. and personal shame Mm. Um, being ashamed to be a human being because of the body that you're born into is an unbelievably ridiculous thing. Ridiculous. If I can change that for one other person, Mm. it is all worth it. Totally. Yep. Can you talk to me about some of your favourite, not (laughs) favourite, change that, edit that out, (laughs) some of the talent that you currently represent that are really inspiring you or that are kind of doing things that are just disruptive and incredible like if you had to name three people that you know listeners should keep an eye on Mm. kind of who comes to mind um james parr who uh is one of our talent based in melbourne who Mm. comes back up back and forth from melbourne and sydney quite a lot um he lost his leg to cancer Mm -hmm. um he's indigenous he had a really tough time growing up uh he is one of those beautiful human beings mm. I've ever met in my life and his career is just absolutely going gangbusters and yep. I'm loving every yes. minute of it. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Um, I'd say probably Milo Hartle who's, mm. you know, she's an incredible fat activist, yep. absolutely, uh, you know, try and put every bit of um my might behind her and her messaging mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. she's she, you know she's got such a powerful voice and she's not afraid to use it mm-hmm. and literally because she's a singer so she does have a powerful Incredible. voice <laughs> <laughs> um and I'd say probably you know still even after 20 years Robin Lawley mm. I love her like a sister she's like a little sister we've been together as a team for so long now just They've, the way that you've seen the industry change together yep um, we kind of came up together, mm, right, mm. you know, and um, her vegan activism and what she does with her environmental practices and using her voice towards that I think is unbelievably powerful mm-hmm. and she's so just so truthful and honest and real and I love that about her that she's had so much success and so much fame mm. and she has not changed one iota. It's amazing. Yeah. It's hard to, to maintain that authenticity. Yeah. You yeah. would know of all people seeing it. But um, the last thing I want to just touch on is only detail that you're comfortable with, but mm-hmm. you have been through a lot of health issues. You've mm. faced a lot. Like you <laughs> to get up every day and do what you do and just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. I remember being in your office and you coming back from a treatment and explaining that you'd had this like 
30 centimeter needle oh, put into yeah. your joints and you know the trauma of that yeah. and we were laughing about it at the time but that's a lot to go through and then yeah. to come into work barely being able to walk and just get on with your day yeah can you kind of just but recap that, your what you've been through yeah so I've got a I didn't know until um a couple of years ago they misdiagnosed me with fibromyalgia mm-hmm because they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. What is fibromyalgia for people who don't know? Fibromyalgia is a chronic pain condition caused by, normally caused by some sort of emotional trauma, but it can be caused by a physical trauma as mm-hmm. well. Um, but then they did further testing and I had this, you know, nuclear bone scan and stuff and they said, no, you've actually got Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Mm-hmm. So which means all of the ligaments in my body, if you can imagine a a good old-fashioned rubber band Mm -hmm. and if you stretch it out and stretch it out it starts to crack and dry out that's what my ligaments are like so Mm -hmm. I started dislocating everything so my fingers my elbows my knees my feet my ankles (laughs) everything just started to dislocate all the time and so um they did uh stem cell therapy Mm. so I went in every week for six months and I had 50 to 70 injections a week into each joint 50 to 70 yep and um, you don't have pain relief because it's in your joints you're not allowed to have pain relief while Fuck. you have it because it interferes with the stem cell and it, it was torture it was yeah. it was actually torture because you have to stay still while someone causes you so much pain where it's does your mind go in that moment I honestly I don't know where it went I remember the last session before this round was finished um, he went to do my ankle and I wasn't controlling my ankle. At, my ankle would not let him touch mm. it at all. It was, so, it was completely disconnected from my head. I had no control. I was laughing You're my like, head off. be still. I was like, be still. It would not. Every time he went to go near it with mm. the needle, it would just move and he was like, okay, we've got to stop it. Yeah. And, you know, we'll start again in six months or okay. whatever. So, and then COVID hit, so. Yeah. yeah. How did you even find? Because I remember you saying there's like not many people in the world that even do that uh, no. particular type of therapy for what you have. Yeah. I had to dig through, dig through, dig through, research, research, mm. research, and then, you know, find this guy who was doing it over in um, North Sydney. Um, and I've found since found another doctor in mm-hmm. Queensland who's doing it. Um, but Australia's so far behind with medical stuff. They do this in America all the time. And the cost is so much more it's ridiculous. A- unbelievable. I mean, yeah, I, I could have bought a unit in Sydney for what it cost me. But, you know, it was that or a wheelchair. It's your quality of life. And yeah. it's not even the wheelchair. It's the pain. I was, mm-hmm. I mean, the amount of pain I was in, just constantly dislocating your joints all the time. And I remember you you saying you have to like go and spend time in Queensland because the weather was warmer and your joints wouldn't dislocate, whereas in Sydney winter you were just in agony every day. So the colder colder you are, the looser your joints get. Mm. So, um, yeah, when it's hot I have less trouble with it. How are you now? So it's worked? Are you feeling good? So it's worked, yeah. Okay. So I feel really good. My um, couple of my fingers have just started dislocating again, which means it's probably wearing off. How long does it last? About three years. So oh, okay. I'm All right. probably due at some point this year. I'll have yeah. to go in for another round. So, yeah. It's a lot. And then you had COVID, selling <laughs> your business, selling <laughs> everything you own to just keep your life afloat. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, yeah. Um, looking back on it, are you kind of just like that's another chink in the armour? That's a bit of resilience? I think if I had a bit more of an ego mm-hmm. or an expectation about how my life should be, then it might worry me more. Yeah. But really 
as long as I feel like I'm adding some sort of value to the human race, Mm -hmm. the rest of it doesn't matter to me. Yeah, it it drives your life and your Mm -hmm. day-to-day. If anyone's listening that either wants to get into modelling or maybe booking, Mm. what would your advice be to them? Um, Oh, gosh. Well, for both things, I'd say probably the same. You need to be resilient. Mm -hmm. Um, The better shape your body image is in, no matter what size you are, Mm -hmm. the better Mm -hmm. for you. And as an agent as well, because you're surrounded by beautiful people all the time. So if you don't have good body image, that can be Mm. really confronting. Mm. Um, And you have to have a really tough heart because you lose chunks of it a lot. Mm. (laughs) You have to know how to put it back together. So it's it's not an industry for the faint hearted. How do you do that? How do you put your heart back together? I spend time on the water. I'm a Bodie, as you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I spend time hugging my dog. <laughs> Billy. Yeah. Yep. I read. I, you know, pray. I cry. Mm-hmm. I have baths. And then I get up and I go again. Well, we've got a closing tradition on the podcast. Yes. Everyone has to answer the same question. Okay. No right or wrong answers. Yep. Chelsea, what is the meaning of life? Ooh. Hmm. The meaning of life. I guess it's what whatever gives your life meaning. With that, we will end today's chat. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks I honestly find me. you super inspiring. You have you gave me my first opportunity. You set my career up from the get-go. You saw in me that I wanted to work hard, that I yeah. was driven, and I just needed that one person to believe in me, and that was you, and it's kind of set my career up from there. So I can't ever thank you enough for believing You're in me. More than welcome. For giving me the opportunities and um, for still, all these years later, being a support and being someone I can go to for guidance. Always. Or, yeah, I just really appreciate you. You're a rare gem. So thank, thank you, you, and thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Please let me know who you'd love to hear from next or if you have a story to share, I'd love to get in touch with you. You can connect directly with me on Instagram at Life Chats Podcast, one word. And every review and share really does help so much in the early days of building a podcast. So if you've enjoyed this conversation, please share it on social media or you can snap a pic of where you might be listening and jump onto Apple Podcasts and give us a review. I really do appreciate the support more than you know. Have a beautiful morning, afternoon or evening wherever you may be listening in the world. I'm Georgia May and this is Life Chats.